1: Good afternoon, everybody. It is a smoky Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Post-Gazette. I am here today with Paul Zeiss, our Post-Gazette sports columnist, for our weekly video with with Paul. How are you?
0: I'm doing good, man. I have have survived uh, uh, all of the uh, smoke, apparently, and um, hopefully it's going to start dissipating and everything's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, we'll get that that air quality index back down hopefully soon. In the meantime, Paul, we've got some Pirates topics to toss around here at the top of the show. Um, The big one I wanted to get to was the Andrew McCutcheon trade rumors, if you can call them that. Um, John Morosi from MLB Network said earlier in the week that the the Pirates may be interested in trading him uh, to the – Texas Rangers, because they are, you know, one of the better teams in baseball. They're hoping to compete for to win the World Series. Andrew McCutcheon's never won a World Series, but pretty quickly after that, there was a lot of cold water thrown on it. Our own Jason Mackey was in the Pirates Clubhouse on uh, Tuesday night, and Andrew McCutcheon said he wants to be here, as he has said, at many different points. I believe Jason also said the Texas Rangers general manager, or some executive with them, also said he'd never called the Pirates about acquiring an outfielder or anyone, um, you know, despite that report. Paul, what do you make of, of the fact, you know, what do you make of that timeline? And, and did it ever make sense to you for the, the Pirates to trade Andrew McCutcheon?
0: Well, here's the thing, Adam. Whenever all of these trade-type stories come floating out, the Texas Rangers general manager literally could have been like at a cocktail party, you know, with a few people and said, hey, you know, uh, we could use a DH or whatever, maybe Andrew McCutcheon, yeah, uh, you know, whatever. So well, there's always some genesis to these things, right? Whether it's an agent, whether it's somebody who, again, happened to be talking to somebody who knows somebody. Um, and so... In some ways, it could have been someone from the pirate side of things with a trial balloon, just sort of floating it out there a little bit, which they do all the time. I know that uh, there are people that think that that's, you know, crazy conspiracy stuff, but it's true. Teams will float a a balloon out if they're thinking about maybe trading or moving on or doing something that they know might be a little bit unpopular just to sort of get a climate for what would come down the pipe. Now, that being said... I mean, I, I, I have a hard time believing they brought him back here with the idea they were going to trade him. You know, I mean, I, I would, I would, and I can't prove it because I wasn't in the room. But do you really think, Adam, that, he, you know, uh, that, that McCutcheon sat in a room with Bob Notting or whoever he, he was negotiating with him and his agent, and it wasn't discussed? Listen, I have no interest really in being traded. Now, I didn't get a no trade clause. Uh, in his contract, which, you know, it, it, it sounds like if you listen to the stories on AT&T Sportsnet, you know, that inside the Pirates baseball, you've probably seen it during different rain delays and, and everything else where, you know, this uh, this segment with how did it all come about? Andrew, how did you end up coming back? And then they talked to Notting. It sounds like it was a relationship that was built of trust and respect for each other. And, you know, so therefore, um, it wasn't a tough negotiation. They just basically needed to put together the framework of a, co- of a contract. I have a hard time believing, though, they never talked about the fact that, hey, you know, because Andrew McCutcheon's been around a long time. I have a hard time believing that he never said to Bob Nodding, hey, listen, I mean, I'm not going to push for a no trade clause, but I really don't want to be traded. I'm sure that conversation came up. And so it is kind of a moot point, but Adam, I wrote a call about this yesterday. Okay. If you're the pirates and it's in your best baseball interest to trade Andrew McCutcheon and you don't because of nostalgia, because of, you know, emotion. I've heard, well, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, his wife is here and he wants to stay here uh, because, you know, this guy's an all-time pirate. Uh, his popularity you know, his public relations and all the other stuff, if any of those reasons are why you wouldn't make a deal that makes sense, then I don't know what you're exactly trying to accomplish if you're the pirates. And I know that sounds like it's, oh well, you know, there's more to it than just the business aspect of it, but no, there really isn't. And when I say the business of it, I don't mean the the money part of it. I mean the baseball part of it. Now, at the end of the day, This is a team going nowhere. They're not winning anything this year. They're not going to win the division. They're not going to be a wild card. They're not going anywhere. They've probably indirectly or directly made it pretty clear. They're not going to add talent, you know, at the trade deadline to try and go for it. They're not going to push, you know, maybe to try to close those three or four games or whatever it is uh, between them and the wild card. So if that's the case, I have no idea why Andrew McCutcheon wouldn't at least be on the trading block. Now, if you can't get a good deal for him, if you can't get the right price in return for him, then you don't trade him. But as I've said before, you've got a closer, right, on your team. He went eight days last week or whatever it was. They actually had to put him in a game. They were down by five runs or whatever it was just because they wanted to get him some work, right? Yeah, he's a really good pitcher, and he's a great ambassador, and he's a tough guy from Mars, and all the other stuff that we hear about him. I get it. I like him. I think he's a good player. But having a closer on a team like this is kind of useless. And at the end of the day, if you can get some for him, you have to make the deal. It can't be about, well, you know, we've got to keep him around. He's younger. There's a couple more years of control, yada, yada. He's a power arm. And as we've as we've seen it, Adam – those power arms sometimes they get they 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 banged up, uh, you know they, they 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 either blow out or they get you know fatigue or whatever, you know. And the more pitches they have on those arms, the more likely that's going to happen. His value is high now. He's another guy you put him on the block because at the end of the day, what this whole entire next three months, actually next nine months should be, should be. So that come April, next year, you're putting a team out there that is, you know, if not ready to win the division, ready to legitimately contend. And guess what? That means you're going to have to bring some of your young guys up. And trading a guy like McCutcheon means you can backfill some of those prospect spots that you have so that you have young talent, you know, continually in the pipeline. To me, his value, okay, Wonderful. You know what? But if this team stinks like it has for the last month in mid-August, how many tickets are being sold because Andrew McCutcheon's a DH on the roster? So, I mean, that, that's the way I look at it.
1: That, that's fair, Paul. But let me – I
0: mean,
1: looking toward next season, let me ask the question of you this way. If you have a chance to bring Andrew McCutcheon back next year and he has a chance to be a 2-3 win player, a productive guy – is 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 a prospect that you're going to pick up in a, a trading Andrew McCutcheon now worth it if that alienates him from signing next fall if 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 he he's kind of I think he wants to be on the Clayton Kershaw year to year thing and when he, he loses it then he's not going to he'll retire. I think that's what he wants. Um and and I think if you're the Pirates you would like to have his bat in the lineup next year. Is is there a risk of alienating him if if you send him somewhere he doesn't want to go? because you like the deal that's on the table now?
0: I would say no. And I'll tell you why. It, you know, We just talked about the whole reason he's here is his relationship. And if you're Bob Nutting and you sit down with him and you rationally talk to him and say, listen, this is a win-win for both of us here. You have a chance to go for the next two and a half months, play for a team that's a contender, maybe go win that World Series ring that you've been looking for, right? Do that. And in November, we'll sign you. And not only will I sign you, I'll give you a no trade clause in November because next year I believe we're going to need you the whole entire season. If you do it that way, right, that's the art of negotiation. That's the art of you're making – we're we're giving you a little bit of an out to go out and, and pursue a World Series. We'll bring you back next year. You have my word, right? We'll bring you back. And next year I'll give you a no trade clause so you can you know, be sure that if next year's your last year, you finish it in a Pirates uniform. You'll be on a team next year that I believe will be ready to, to contend. And you'll help the organization out because you'll be able to bring back a prospect or two that, 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 that we need for our minor league systems uh, to continue to, to, to fill them up. That's the order of negotiation. I mean, if you're a billionaire, I mean, whatever you want to say about my, Bob Nutting. If you're a billionaire and you can't make that simple negotiation, then I, I got a question. How in the world did you become a billionaire?
1: Yeah, I, I, that's fair. I, but what, what happens if he comes back and says, nah, I'm good. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's made clear that that's just what he wants, regardless of whether it makes sense for anyone involved. Um, you know, Do you still make that deal and still, still, still take that risk?
0: I would. If the deal was right. I'm not just going to trade him for some schlep rock. I'm not just going to trade him just to trade him, right? But but, but my point is if I can get somebody of value that I believe can help our organization and help our major league team down the road, I legitimately have to think about doing it.
1: Paul, speaking of young guys, I do want to talk about the struggles of some of some of the names that are here now over the past week, um, Rodolfo Castro, Jack Swinski, Jiwon Bay, Tukapita Marcano, Um, you know, those guys, the Pirates have had high hopes in varying degrees for all of them. They were involved in an 0 for 95 streak, I think, before breaking out on Tuesday night against San Diego, getting a bunch of hits off of a, you know, an emergency pitcher, if we're being honest. Um, What is your level of hope that any of those guys that I just named are going to be on the next good Pirates team, whether it's next year, two years from now, three years from now? Given given the names that are coming up in the system, given that Nick Gonzalez is here now, had a nice game Tuesday night, how many of those four guys that have gotten decent run in Pittsburgh and have yet to like really answer the doubts about them? How many of them do you think really have a chance to be part of this this next good pirates team? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember, hot and icy, cold—the rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become?
0: Senwa saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass. Very good question. You know, to keep, to Capito Marcano. Um, has shown flashes. I think he's got a skill set that you probably don't want to give up on him yet. Uh, Rodolfo Castro, I just, I keep trying to convince myself that there's a really good player in there. And I just, he, he just continues to prove to me that it probably isn't, um, you know, it's Swinski. Look, say whatever you want to say about Cawinski. He But he's a pretty good defensive outfielder. And the other part of it is, he may be the you know one or two guys you have right now that every time he gets up to play, he's a threat to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And that means something in today's game. So to me, I look at the young guys, and I would hope that next year you have Gonzalez playing every single day. You have O'Neill Cruz playing every single day. You have Cabrian Hayes playing every single day. You have Andy Rodriguez and Henry Davis playing every single day. Um, and obviously Brian Reynolds. So to me, that gives you some flexibility with the other guys. You hope that Sawinski figures out whatever it is that's ailing him when he he struggles against fastballs or whatever, and and that's been a problem. But to be honest, it feels like they've got at least I can now start to see what the plan is. And whether or not it comes together – it remains to be seen. And I think there's a very fair question, very fair question to ask. Are they doing a good enough job developing guys? You know, I I refuse to believe that their scouts are all this bad, especially since I see a lot of the guys that they've drafted or taken or whatever, were high on a lot of other teams boards too, which means they were scouted properly, but now it's up to the pirates and the organization and the, the minor league instructors, the hitting coaches, the pitching coaches, the it, it's up to the Pirates now to get these young guys between now, like I said, now and next March to the point where we feel really good about the team they're going to feel going into next season.
1: Yeah, I think that's all fair. And, and looking toward next season, Paul, there are a couple of guys that, uh, we're in the spotlight this week at the College World Series. Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens both helped lead LSU to the national championship. They both looked really good. They are probably 1A and 1B in this upcoming MLB draft, in which the Pirates hold the number one pick. Just, We still have some time to, I think, you know, really chew through this and, and consider the options for the Pirates. The, the draft is until July 9th, but as we sit here now, Paul, which of those two guys do you prefer as being part of, of the Pirates' future?
0: Well, I would tend to lean to the position player. I mean, that's basic. That's that's where I would go. I think he plays every day. There's less risk when you take a position player that high. Um, you know, a guy that throws 103 and is regularly throwing 110, 120 pitches every night. Um, it's a lot of mileage on his arm. And I think the other part of it is, I keep hearing people talk about how, well, you know, Skeens is a guy that could be up and he could be pitching for the Pirates by September. Uh, has anyone been paying attention to how the Pirates do things? I, I, I think not. I'd be shocked if he's out pitching for the Pirates by, by September or even next June. But that to me, there's two, there's a couple things I would say. If I'm the Pirates, again, baseball decisions, which guy is likely to help me sooner. That's the question you need to ask yourself. Which guy do you think is a, a, a better candidate to, to, to be a part of what we're building sooner? Because now we're in year four. At some point, right, we got to start, it's got to start translating to what goes on on the field. And the thing about a pitcher like Schemes is, obviously, he's probably ready to step in at some point and, and throw and pitch and, and you know, and, and, and be productive. Um, I heard somebody else, and, and this is a cynical Pirates fan, say it this way, and this is actually probably a really interesting way of looking at it, okay? Which guy, six years from now, do you think will have the most value when you trade him? Now, that's a very cynical way of looking at things, uh, but it's true. It's, given the M.O. of the Pirates, uh, it's not that unfair, uh, but that's, a, 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 a listen, a long way, I would prefer they take Cruz. I, un, I understand why they're enamored by the pitcher. I under, understand why some people say, hey, if you're going to get to where you need to go, you need that 1A guy, you need that, you know, that that horse uh, in, in your rotation. I get it. But I, again, look at Power Arm, who's thrown a lot of pitches, who throws 102, 103 miles an hour who the Pirates are likely to leave in the minor leagues for like a year or so, which means he's going to throw a ton of pitches there. And I worry about his health. I worry that is it another situation like we've seen with Jamison Thailand could be a situation like Garrett Cole, who obviously is a power pitcher who has had very few arm troubles. But at the end of the day, you got the number one overall pick to me. I look at risk and I think there's a lot less risk with Cruz than there is schemes.
1: Yeah, I think if, if there wasn't such an obvious you know 1A hitter in, in the draft in, in Cruz, I think it'd be a, a much more difficult decision. I think if it was like a Henry Davis type, maybe you think about it twice. But I think we're talking about the still in Cruz guy having Bryce Harper upside here. I actually think it's an interesting way to frame the question, Paul, which is would you rather have Bryce Harper's career or would you rather have Steven Strasburg's career? Because um, I think those are the comps a lot of people have been making. And if I if I'm choosing between those two guys, those two commodities that I know, I'm going to go with Harper. I think you have he has more everyday impact on your roster, and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle with Strasburg, like the Nationals did for one year. But I think you, to your point, there's a lot more risk and a lot more uncertainty in going with a pitcher, and and you know that that a Bryce Harper type can can also be the focal point of a winning team.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the other thing is, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but Strasburg is owed about $250 million, and there's some that think he might not ever pitch again because it goes back to what I talk about with the arm. And that doesn't mean you have to be you know, super afraid that you, you want good pitchers and everything else. But the model I like, um, Adam, the, the model I like is the model that the Cubs used. When they built that team, they what went, went to the World Series? Maybe they went to the World Series twice. They won it once. They were in the uh, NLCS three or four years in a row, right? If you remember what they did, they drafted and developed or traded for young prospects for the everyday players, and they signed at least three high, you know, uh, uh, three high-priced pitching free agents, and and they went with three veteran guys, Lester. Um, uh, Lester. Uh, what was the other guy's name? Uh, Arietta, and who was their third guy? Um, the other Red Sox guy. What? Uh, uh, can't think if I can see his face. It's on the but, tip of
1: my tongue too.
0: Yes, but but regardless, you know they went out and they got free agent pitchers, veteran guys who were ready. You know who were already ready that were already developed. They 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 had already proven they were pretty durable. You know. And that's the, that's the model that they took. I, I like that model. I understand the argument for, you know, growing your own, but I just feel like with pitchers and the arm trouble that can come and all the other stuff, especially if you plan on keeping a guy in the minors for a year, year and a half before you bring him up, a guy that's played college baseball, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if that's the right prop to go. I think you bring, you bring in Cruz because the other part of Cruz, it's not like he's a shortstop, you know, where you've already got O'Neill Cruz there. It's not like he's a third baseman where you could obviously upgrade the bat of Cabrian Hayes, but for better or worse, he's there for the next six years.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, Paul, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the Penguins because right before we hopped on the record here, we're recording this on Wednesday for Thursday. The Penguins made a trade for Riley Smith, um, the winger who has been with the Golden of, Vegas Golden Knights for several years. He scored 26 goals this past season. A lot of people are talking about it as a sign that they're giving up on bringing back Jason Zucker in free agency. Um, What do you think of the move itself, Paul? What do you think about what it signals in terms of losing a guy like Zucker? I think a lot of people finally really enjoyed seeing him kind of live up to that potential when the the Penguins traded for him a few years ago. He finally had a great year. I think he developed quite a bit of a cult following, but – Maybe he played his way out of Pittsburgh. Do you think that that, you know, basic trade – it's almost like a hockey trade, right, Paul? You traded Jason Zucker for Riley Smith. What do you think of that, you know, end result?
0: Well, I, I mean, I would, I would think that that would probably mean that, uh, that the Zucker is gone, right? I would think that this trade – interestingly, they only gave up a third-round pick for him, though. It wasn't like they gave up a ton for him. And here's the thing. If you can make it work to keep them both around – Right, which early scuttlebutt, just sort of reading what's been being written, is that they probably can't keep them both around. But if you can, um, you know, I think that all of a sudden you have taken the first step towards um, alleviating some of the issues you have in terms of scoring and lack thereof. I mean, you can you, you can put Smith on the third line, or the you know what I mean, and and, and he can become a pretty good third line guy for you. Uh, Or whatever. You've got some flexibility. You can move some guys around if you have to. So you don't have all of your scoring on the top six. Um, So to me, I I think that it's probably not feasible to keep both. But I also think that the the, the Penguins should really think long and hard before they uh, just sort of move on from Zucker.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he was great last season. He was sensational. But this he, he feels like one of those guys, Paul, that, that's that's lining up for one of those big contracts that every, that he signs and everyone says, oh, my God. It just feels like hockey is the, the world capital for those types of reactions, right? You right. look at a deal, it's for eight years and a gajillion dollars, and you're like, how'd that guy get that? That kind of feels like the direction it's going for Zucker. And I think if that's the case, then the Penguins don't want to necessarily get hamstrung as they're looking toward – you know, ho- ho- hoping to have the flexibility to maybe pivot um, to a post-Crosby, Malkin, Latang era here um, sooner than later, I think. Certainly in the term probably that Jason Zucker will be signing for if he gets five, six, seven years from someone, even though he's, he's not a spring chicken himself. Um, Paul, I, I also wanted to ask, what do you, you want to see from the, these Penguins between now and next week? Free agency is going to open this weekend. There will be some deals. Uh, Kyle Dubas has signaled the uh, Penguins new president of hockey operations that he does not want to trade a first round pick to get rid of guys like Mikael Granlund. So there's, you know, hope that, that they find a willing trade partner to kind of dump that salary on. Um, so I think that'd be like the the first priority for a lot of Penguins fans who don't want to see Granlund around next year. It's more like an addition by subtraction type of thing, but, but beyond that, what would you like to see Paul, um, you know, I think a goalie's probably high on the priority list as well. I, I think I, that's what you're going to say. But if we're sitting here next Wednesday recording a video for Thursday, what do you hope we, we've seen by them?
0: I hope that we have a really well, – we have good clarification on what the goalie situation is. Uh, I was listening to someone this week. I was talking about how uh, there's one of these fan graphs type sites that, you know, does contracts and whatnot for the NHL. And uh, they basically – project that he would get a contract for six years, six million a year. If the Penguins pay him that, they're crazy. I don't care what anyone, I'm talking about Tristan Jari. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, this obviously with, uh, with bringing Smith in, that, 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 that gives them a little more depth of scoring and things of the such. Uh, I would like to see by next Thursday that they, uh, or next Wednesday or whatever it is, I would like to see them manage a few of these bad contracts. Um, and I'm not saying you give away your first round pick to get rid of some of these guys. Uh, you know, and I heard Cal Dubas talk about how he's not a big fan of the buyout system either, but the reality of the situation is they need to free up some cap space. They need to get rid of some, what I would call dead weight. And then backfill it with some guys that can help you win um, in the areas you need to be helped. Again, goalie is always number one with this group right now, but, they need at least one or two more defensemen that can actually, uh, you know, move the puck a little bit. It uh, wouldn't hurt them if one of them was a little bit physical and big. Um, and probably at least – and I know that they've got Jeff Carter, and I know all the, they probably need another center, you know. And, and I don't know what that lead, where that leaves Jeff Carter, but they really, really, really need to rebuild that bottom six – they need to, to, to beef up their defensive pairings a little bit. And they need a goalie. Those are the things that have to be the priority. And to me, we at least need to have clear clarity in all three areas uh, by next week. And if that means uh, they're clearing cap space between now and then and getting rid of guys and, you know, you don't, if, if you don't have to give up your first-round pick, uh, but maybe it takes a little less than that, right, to, to get rid of some of these guys in these contracts. Uh, i clearly think that's where they've got to be that, a, a roster that's more streamlined so that after the draft they can see what they have they can go out and they can really make a push to try and add a few players that that truly make them better
1: it's a lot to ask paul but you know i, I think if they're going to win fans back here i think that's that's pretty much got to be the 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 mission right is is you' you've, yeah. even if you don't get a 100 percent of what you want you've at least you know, gotten further down the path than you were this past season. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. And then we'll be back next week to analyze some of those moves, um, get your thoughts on that. Before I let you go, Paul, I wanted to also ask you about this pro football network ranking of coaches. Everyone's been talking about it this week. Um, It had Mike Tomlin as number three in the NFL uh, behind, I believe Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. What do you think of that um, in the context of, of what he's done in the last handful of years. I think, I think his resume overall, maybe it rises to that level. But I, today, currently, given the way that the, the Steelers have looked um, in the last handful of years, what, what do you think of that ranking?
0: If it's a lifetime achievement ranking, okay, maybe. If it's a career ranking, okay, maybe. If it's what, you know, wh- where you're at right now, I can't go Three. I mean, the guy's won, what, three playoff games since 2010. He's won, you know, what, two division titles, I think, maybe, something like that. I I Honestly, I I would put him maybe in between five and ten somewhere. You know, I'd have to think long and hard about every coach and yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, you know, Andy Reid is obviously number one. And Belichick, you know, even though we could say some of the same things about him, seven rings are different than one ring, right? And so, you know, has has, has Mike Tallman done a better job than Sean McDermott the last few years? I don't know that I can get there. Um, Has he done a better job than um, my man in Tennessee who has made that team play, you know, four wins better than they actually are, if you think about it, in many, many ways. I mean, there's a number of guys that are out there uh, you know, uh, Shanahan and in, 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 uh, with the 49ers is bad, you know. So, you know, to me, Mike Tomlin, here, here's what bothers me about the Mike Tomlin discussion. We can never, ever have a Mike Tomlin discussion because there's two sides that line up and they don't want to hear an actual discussion. But there's a nuanced place when it comes to uh, Mike Tomlin, Adam, and it's this. He's a very good football coach. He's done a pretty good job of making the Steelers relevant every single year. He's done a good job of keeping them consistent and keeping them in seasons with other teams that might have folded. He's done all of that stuff. And, yes, lots of other teams would love to have him. But he hasn't won enough in the playoffs recently. And he hasn't won enough in the playoffs recently for a number of reasons. Right? And he also hasn't won a Super Bowl Since two thousand and what was it seven or eight or whatever year it was when they two thousand nine. What was it?
1: It was uh, early two thousand nine when he won that. So
0: oh eight oh nine. I mean, we're getting to the point now where that Super Bowl is fifteen years in his mirror, in his rearview mirror. And at some point, it's nice that you won a Super Bowl, but look around the AFC and the NFC. Actually, too, look at the number of guys who've gotten fired. Because after they won a Super Bowl, they didn't do a whole lot for a few years. It it buys you some extra time. But the idea that somehow it's the be-all, end-all on your resume for the rest of your life is silly. It's absolutely silly. And I think there are some people that are in that position when it comes to Mike Tomlin, where they believe he deserves some sort of lifetime pass because he won a Super Bowl. I just can't get there.
1: Here's what I'll say, Paul. I, I keep saying that I, I kind of look at Mike Tomlin as the three phases of his career. The first phase was when he had those Super Bowl caliber teams and got the job done with them. And then the second phase I kind of look at as the Killer Bees era, where you had Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger all on that roster, um, all producing, you know, at their career highs, and you didn't win with them. I think he underachieved in that window of time, right? Somewhere between let's say 2012 and 2019 when Ben Roethlisberger injured his arm. And then there's the third phase of, yeah, the end of Ben and the beginning of Kenny Pickett, this transition changing of the guard at quarterback. And I think in that phase of his career, Paul, he's done a pretty decent job. I think he's gotten as much out of that roster as you reasonably could have hoped. And I think that's what makes it difficult because I think some fans have never gotten over the fact that he he certainly underachieved in that middle window and overachieving at this late stage of Ben Roethlisberger's career just doesn't make a lot of people happy, even if even if the results are maybe as good as you could have hoped for, given the circumstances. Right.
0: Well, I mean, I think that, that's, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, and I would tell you this, you go three phases. I, I go almost two phases. There was his first four years and then everything since. And his first four years, he was on his way to being, you know, first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Fame all-timer. And in his last 11, 10, 11, what is it, 12 years since then, he's basically become Marty Schottenheimer. And so, and that's not to say Marty Schottenheimer's bad or had a bad career, but nobody would ever have said that uh, Marty Schottenheimer is a a Hall of Famer or an all-time great, right, back then when he was continually losing in the first round.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think those are all certainly fair criticisms. And I think now is, I think now is going to be a career defining phase of his career where, you know, you've got, you don't have Ben Roethlisberger. You have a new rookie quarterback. What can you do with him? Can you maximize this window where you can build a strong roster? Cause you're not paying that quarterback a ton of money. Can you, can you win in the way we've seen the chiefs and the bills and the Bengals win this last handful of years? If you can't, then I think that there is a valid conversation to be had about you know what, what that means for his legacy. But for now, I really want to see what happens in this phase that's upcoming because I think it's it's more important to me than what's happened in the last five years. Just given that that there were always going to be issues, regardless of who was the coach, in going from the end of Ben Roethlisberger to the beginning of something new.
0: Yeah, no question. And here's the thing: if they don't make the playoffs again this year, Adam. I'm not saying he needs to be fired, but this idea that he has a you know lifetime contract needs to end as well. Uh, he needs to get it in, in gear. And to your point, like it's admirable if they want to go back to playing old school football and win games that way. It's hard to win that games that way when you're playing against some of the quarterbacks they're playing against. So I want to see this season. This is one of the most intriguing seasons that I can remember because I, I, I feel like the Steelers could be really good. It could be really bad, right? I think that they, you know, they're, they're going to be a team that is probably going to play a little unconventional in this time and place. But if they win and they're successful, then you will look and say, well, boy, Mike Mike, Mike Tomlin, you know, did a great job of, uh, you know, negotiating through or navigating through this last phase where he doesn't, you know, where he, he doesn't have the, uh hall of fame quarterback anymore
1: absolutely well paul that's all i have for you this week everyone else please uh pop a like on this video if you enjoyed it help us out in the youtube algorithm please subscribe uh so you don't miss any of our videos we're going to have christopher carter back on the north shore drive on friday so you'll be want to want to be signed up for that um paul any final thoughts before we sign off here no, not at
0: all, really. Uh, uh, just an off-topic one, well, I wanted to broach with you real, real quick. We can do this in 30 seconds, because I know it's probably near and dear to your heart, this whole story with uh, Penn State talking about not wanting to fund their journalism, when not, not wanting to fund their, their, their school newspaper. Uh, that that kind of hit me a little bit. I, I, I just wanted to get a quick, real quick, what are your thoughts? Because obviously you're a lot closer to it than I am.
1: Paul, it's B.S., the Daily Collegian. I'm actually wearing my Daily Collegian summer 2011 shirt right now while we're talking. Um, the, the Daily Collegian is the reason I have a job in journalism. I spent 90 percent of my time while I was at Penn State working on collegian stuff, not in the classroom. You know, this is no disrespect to the, the instructors at Penn State. Some of them are world class, but you just cannot, you know, do this job without doing the job. And, right. and the Collegian gave has given so many people the chance to do the job. And, and taking those opportunities away, Paul, is going to make your journalism program fundamentally weaker. Um, I think Penn State got a lot of, as in journalism circles, got a lot of shine from the Jerry Sandusky scandal and the reporting superstars that, that emerged from that. I went to school with a lot of them. And, and you're not going to find those people if you don't have the Daily Collegian. So Penn State needs to rethink this decision. Um, because I'm proud of, of saying I went to the, you know, studied at the collegiate studied at Penn state. And I think that would change for a lot of us. If, if that institution that's been around for 130 years at this point goes away over a half a million bucks at a school with a $5 billion endowment. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So but put it this way, that was kind of my opinion, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, because I don't know it quite as intimately as you. So, uh, you know we'll, we'll have to follow that story as well as we go through the next few weeks
1: absolutely paul thank you for giving me the chance to sound off a little bit there at the end and uh, i'll talk to you next week
0: all right my man be good
1: thank you for checking out this content from post gazette sports if you liked the video please like it and subscribe to our youtube channel if you enjoyed it on apple podcasts please rate us five stars in apple Podcasts. for six months of digital access to post for just six dollars click the link down in the description